And so, this is Christmas Eve Sunday. I'm going to be reading in just a moment from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. But I want to begin by telling you that some years ago, when my family and I lived in a church manse in another state, it wasn't here, we experienced something we had not experienced before at that manse. It was an invasion. Our home was invaded by field mice. Now, fortunately, that invasion was restricted to the basement part of that manse, and it was soon stopped with the help of a pest removal service. But I wonder, though, what comes to your mind this Christmas Eve Sunday when you think about an invasion? Of a certain age, you may think about uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor or uh, the historic invasion of Allied forces on the beaches of Normandy. If you've ever had your home broken into, well, you may automatically think of a home invasion. The dictionary defines an invasion as the entrance of anything troublesome or harmful. The entrance as if to take possession or overrun, infringement by intrusion. Considering how we typically use the word invasion, it may seem odd, but today we need to think of a God invasion. I mean, if an an invasion means to intrude, then we can be sure that God Almighty has intruded into the life of this world. If an invasion means to break in or to encroach upon, then, then again we can be sure that God, that's what he has done. Now with that, I'd ask you to consider this reading in Luke chapter 1. I'm beginning at verse 5, reading from the English Standard Version. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. 
And they realized he'd had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. And there ends the reading of God's infallible word. So we can see from those verses that Zechariah had an invasion of God, an encroachment of God upon his life. So with that motif, with that, that template, I would like for us to consider on this Christmas Eve Sunday, this final Sunday in Advent, the implications of an invasion. And let's think about, first of all, the timing of this invasion. The Bible says that those were the days of Herod the king, and that statement should not be just simply passed over. Luke is locating that event surrounding Jesus' birth in real time and in real history. Now, of course, this has to do with the birth of John the baptizer, but it's all part of the same fabric. This is not something that takes place in a never-never land or some unreal fantasy world. Those things happened at a specific time and a place in history. They happened in and were decisively affected by specific cultural and political events of the time. Herod was a real man who was really appointed king by the Romans. Now, he was not a very nice person, to be honest about it. He was largely a thug, a lapdog of the Romans. But he was also a prolific builder. When I was in Israel some years ago, one of the highlights, for myself at least, was visiting the Mediterranean coast city of Caesarea Maritima, a fantastic ancient city built by this same Herod to honor Caesar Augustus. But Herod is perhaps better known for rebuilding the Temple of Solomon. That temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians as a sign of God's judgment in the late 500s B.C., and Herod set about to rebuild it, starting construction several decades before the birth of Jesus. It was into that magnificent rebuilt temple that Zacharias had gone to pray. And as he did, there were many others who remained outside the temple also praying. And the fact is, in the order of things in the history of ancient Israel, God had not spoken to them by a prophet in almost 400 years. And so for four long centuries, the people of Israel awaited a time that would signal the last days, a time referred to as the day of the Lord. They prayed for the coming of the kingdom. The Bible also says of this time that both Zacharias and Elizabeth were old. They had never had children and were, in fact, at this point, beyond childbearing age. Now, the original readers of these words way back in the first century, they would have immediately thought of a much older story with a similar theme. Abraham and Sarah having a child in their old age. Rachel bearing two sons for Jacob, well advanced in her years. They might also have thought about the births of Samson or Samuel, who likewise were born in similar situations. Now, one of the key elements to this story applies, however, across ages, across cultures and times. God chose not to give a child when that man and his wife were very young. He did not confer with them at all about when might be the best time or most convenient. 
He didn't bother to wait until Zechariah was off duty and at home where he might have been more comfortable. He broke into that man's life because it is God who chooses the time. And I ask you to think about the times that God has made himself known to you in some special way throughout your lifetime. Would you agree with me that no matter what your plans may or may not have been, God's works are as he chooses them to be? And we see this theme running right through all of Holy Scripture. Moses chose a time, but God called him 40 years later. David wanted to build a temple to Yahweh, but God said it wasn't time. Joseph dreamed about his brothers bowing down to him, but it was be many, many years before that actually happened. Throughout the Bible, we have many stories about God invading the lives of people in his own way and his time. And don't we sometimes, let's be honest, don't we sometimes get frustrated and give up because things aren't moving when we are ready for them to move? You want to do something perhaps for the Lord, but your plans get frustrated. Or God invites you to do something special, but it's not a good time for you to get involved. So you think. And there are some folks who like to put God on hold until the timing is convenient for them. But when God is ready to invade your life or mine, He isn't going to confer with us to make sure it's going to work out okay with our schedule. God invades life on His time schedule, not ours, when, when He does. We'd better be ready. All right, so that's the timing of the invasion here. Let's consider next the people of the invasion. In the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth, we find two very ordinary, obscure, unlikely candidates for what God wanted to do. God could have chosen anyone in the world to be the parents of the great prophet John the Baptizer. He could have chosen someone rich and famous. But he chose those commonplace people for an uncommon task. On the other hand, verse 6 says, there was something very special about them. Let me read it again from a different translation. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Luke 1.6. Being righteous in God's eyes meant they were honest and upright in their dealings with others. They were careful to do what God's law required of them. And Zechariah, being a descendant of Aaron, served in the Aaronic priesthood. That was his duty. That was his privilege before God. And he was one of many men who had that responsibility. But it did not make him part of any super privileged class of men in that particular society. Look again at verse 7. I'm going to read it from a different translation. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now here is one of the areas where we don't read the Bible with clarity and insight. Now I'm saying that because in our society... There's nothing particularly noteworthy about a childless couple. Many couples today choose not to have children. That decision is looked at by many people in our culture as just one more lifestyle choice, no more remarkable than any other. I can't help but comment here that we see many couples who don't have children, but they adopt pets, dogs usually, as a substitute for children. But that's their choice, according to our woke society. But to be childless in that Hebrew ancient culture, even among the pagans, it was considered shameful. Elizabeth would have been the constant topic of gossip and insults. People would probably say every time they saw her, 
that God must surely have been punishing her and her husband. So, you can appreciate, I hope, that this man and his wife could have easily given up on God when God seemed to forsake them. They could have cursed God and accused Him of being an unloving God, but they didn't. They chose rather to live lives full of devotion to the Lord, and that did not go unnoticed by God Almighty. So, God's age-changing invasion began with those two people. And the Lord is still in the business of invading the lives of ordinary people. When you refuse to love and forgive, well, let me tell you, God is going to launch a full-scale attack on your value system. When you, now I'm talking about you as a member of Christ's church, when you refuse to live for Him, God's going to do whatever necessary to bring you around. So, better to follow the example of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were righteous, obedient, blameless, and serving Him. All right, the third thing is the method of the invasion. The method of the invasion. God used an angel, a messenger, to invade Zechariah's life. Look again at verse 8. Now he, while he was serving as the priest before God, and his, his shift, we would say, he was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, that would have taken place, from what we know of the ancient temple practices, either at 9 a.m. or at 3 p.m. on our time scale, one of those two time slots. And while he's standing at the altar of incense, an angel of the Lord appears to his right, and verse 12 says, Zechariah was troubled. At least in the ESV it reads that way. And that is, frankly, a bit of an understatement. There's, a, I think, a phrase following it in the ESV that tries to qualify it a little bit better, but the Greek term here, troubled, is the Greek term phobos, which in our, is part of our English term phobia. It really means much more than simply being troubled. Accurately, it reads that the man was overcome by fear. And you know, we pray, some of us all the time, that God would make his presence known in our lives. But what if he did it like that? What if he did it something like this? Would we would be terrified? The angel immediately speaks peace to Zechariah and tells him that amazing news about the son he and Elizabeth are going to have. So for his divine invasion, the Lord chose the kind of people that no one at that time would have ever expected. That time was a time of high expectation and religious fervor. We, we can't quite reproduce something like that in our time in terms of religious fervor and, uh, because we have a fragmented culture. But among these ancient Israelites, or in the times of the Roman occupation, there was a high pitch going on for decades and decades. And there were many well-known and well-learned scholars among the Jews of that time, but the people of the Lord were marginal. Excuse me, let me, let me rephrase that. The people the Lord chose were marginal, fringe, outside-the-boundaries types of people. When God chose to spread the message of the Christ to all the world, he could have chosen great theologians and great speakers, pulpiteers, we would say today, but instead he chose to do his work through the most unlikely assortment of men and women, just ordinary people. And I'm not just here talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even the 12 disciples of Jesus, the apostles, were quite ordinary fringe-type people in that society. Ordinary people who were not on anybody's short list of high society and culture. Do you ever wonder about your service to God? You may be wondering why God does not reveal himself in a more recognizable way to you. 
Well, the answer may be very simple, because God chooses the method. If you're looking for signs and open doors, you may end up only more and more frustrated. Now, that's not to say that prayer and Bible study and listening to sermons and teachings are no good. They certainly and surely are. Just don't make the mistake that these scribes and Pharisees did that are described in these Gospels and think that you have God all nicely boxed up and caged in. And that leads me then to the fourth and final point, and that is the purpose of this invasion. So did the Lord invade Zechariah's life simply to tell him he was going to be a father? No, there was more to it than that. The angel Gabriel said to him, you're going to have a son, and, and this is what you will name him, and this is how you raise him, because this is what he's going to do. In other words, you better do this right. For all of those years, this godly couple prayed for a son, and after passing childbearing age, they joined their voices with all Israel, praying for a Messiah who would redeem Israel and destroy the Romans. When God invaded their lives, he chose to answer two prayers. When God showed up that day, there's no telling what Zechariah might have thought was going on. But he soon learned that it was greater than he could have ever imagined. You know, uh, there was a great writer of the previous century. He was also a, a psychiatrist, I believe, a counselor. He wrote many books from a mostly Christian perspective on such topics as anxiety and that kind of thing. And uh, he once said something to the effect that in his ministry, he found himself becoming resentful that his work was constantly being interrupted by people who wanted something from him or needed something from him. Until he said one day he realized his real work was in those interruptions. Let us pay very close attention to the interruptions, the invasions, and the intrusions into our lives. So for Zechariah... God had come to shake things up. He had come to interfere with the greatest news ever known to humanity. He told Zechariah that his family would have a special part in the spreading of that interfering news. His son would have God's special anointing on his life for that task. Now notice the response of Zechariah. He says, can you give me proof for this? In so many words, that's what he's saying. He's standing in front of Gabriel in the temple of God Almighty, and he asks for proof. Well, needless to stay, as we saw, that wasn't the right response. Because of his disbelief, he was struck dumb until the birth of his son. Now, I suppose that, given the dramatic circumstances, many of us miss the ironic humor of God Almighty and all of that. Because as I said earlier, think about this, it's been 400 years since God spoke to Israel through a prophet. And now God finally breaks in and breaks the silence, and look at, look at what happened. Zechariah is struck dumb, and he can't say a word. He can't tell a soul. What would have been the proper response? Lord, I will follow what you say. That's it. That's all. That's all the response that was necessary. When God calls us to follow him in obedience, no matter how much trouble we might have with it, our response should simply be, Lord, I will follow. And so, friends, this Christmas Eve Sunday, we're not here so we can just fill our heads with more understanding. Hopefully we've done at least that. But you see, the goal is life change. It is about giving ourselves to God in greater ways than we ever have before.
And on this Christmas Eve, it is time for us to seriously think about doing that. Let us pray.